let's do the really the really awkward version of the school play that we all had to act. We all had to play really badly on our instruments. Here comes the three wise men. You know, it was awful. I mean, it was hilarious, but it was awful. And um, and so even in my non, in my kind of growing up formative years, being creative was a thing it, we did. Um, my dad was a ballroom dancer when he came to this country. That's what he did creatively. So obviously dance was in my system so, you know yeah. being creative has always been a thing um so I think why I do it is because it's important to have that that's that makes me feel good and it makes me it's my it's a thing that makes me smile in life do you know what I mean and I yeah. think people don't appreciate how much how much we're surrounded by in terms of creativity even if it's a it might be the thought that's gone into the design of a building through to what you're listening to in, in on the radio in, in your car, you know, some, that's somebody being creative. And so mm-hmm. I I feel like I do it because how can you live without being creative, right? And I, I'm just in a very fortunate place. You and I occupy where our day-to-day work is to be creative in one way or another, do you know what yeah. I mean? Um, so I think that's I, I a big a bit of a kind of meandering answer but I think that's why is because it brings it brings me joy on a really basic level brings it brings me joy that makes me so happy to hear um, <laughs> and that was a beautiful answer um you sort of already kind of touched on this but I'd love to know what your first job in the arts was whether that's a paid job or an unpaid job um what you would class as your first job in this industry mm. I would say that it was so when I graduated, I graduated um, uni and I had my son pretty much straight, straight off the bat, had him the following year. I graduated, so I was 22. Mm-hmm. Um, I had my dance degree. I was like, you know, what, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then one of the one of my, my colleagues and good friends that I'd come uh, met at uni on my course, she sent me a little piece of paper. This is how things were back in the day. In an envelope, she posted me the cutout of an advert in The Guardian that said, Arts Council bursaries for training dance managers. Um, oh. And she said, Dee, I think this would be right up your street. You should apply. Also, and shout so out I your did. friend for clipping so that Juliet, I always, it. do you know what? Juliet, I always, I always, Juliet now, she writes, she writes exam questions for, um, for the psychiatric, um, for any doctors, she writes exam questions. She, she's part of that. Brilliant, brilliant. Anyway, and so Juliet sent me that. And I was like, oh, this is a good opportunity. I can, I can you know, I know about dance. It's, you know, I've, I've been doing dance anyway for about 10 years at that point. Um, so I thought, you know what, this is a good opportunity. And I'll be, and I could combine my English, my typing, my office skills mm-hmm. and, and, um, and my love of dance. And so I applied for the bursary to be a black dance manager. And mm-hmm. then, and I was, and I got it. And then I was at Chisholm Hill Dance Space, which still exists now, which is in Bow. Mm-hmm. I was at, I was based at Chisholm Hill Dance Space, working with um, um, a woman called Kareen Mayer, who was my trainer. And Kareen is my still one of my best friends now, and yeah. Um, really, yeah, we've worked together four different times with four different jobs since then, uh, with her always being my boss. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, career, and I worked there for six months. But interestingly, at that point, I had a conversation because I think even then it was a bit of a difficult one because my, my title was um, uh, Black Dance Manager Trainee. Mm-hmm. And I was like, 
what's the important bit here, the black or the dance manager? And because the whole sector expected me to be an expert on black dance and I didn't know anything about black dance because I'd trained in in Cunningham and, and Graham and very Western styles. I didn't know anything about what, what they were calling black dance. And so I was like, ah, I, I don't know. Being black doesn't make you automatically the expert. Exactly. So I, I, I had to have a conversation. And then, yeah, I had to make a, have a conversation, that, which was quite a brave conversation when I look back and say to them, you know, I'm in this very white institution um, and I'm confused about what the black bit is of this role. And mm-hmm. so, and I, and at that point, I said, my expertise is in, in dance. It's not in being, it's not in black dance. So I want to get a wider experience. Mm-hmm. And they agreed that I could um, move and do, so I did six months at Chisholm and then I went to the place and did six months at the place, which is where I met John Z, um, John Z D. And then I was like, this is better because this is about the wider range of dance. And I met John Z D while he was a student there. So yeah. So my first, that was my first job, I think, because I got paid to train. Yeah. to be a black dance manager and that conversation that you had to have with your with the management of being like so what is this black part about you know what what do you actually want from me what does that mean for you sounds like a a tough conversation to have potentially um and one that you know I would like to hope that I'm brave enough to have with people I'm working with or working for um how did you navigate that did you just I mean but I from knowing you you know I see you as this really powerful amazing woman but also I can imagine you coming in and having this as as one of your first jobs I just see you always like this were you I guess my question is were you always how you are now oh god no a, I don't even, I mean, it's, I, I appreciate all the comments. I find it really <laughs> difficult. One of the things you know you'll find out or know about me is that I really, I really find it, I'm great at giving compliments. I love giving compliments and praise, but I'm very bad at receiving it. But um, this this woman that you describe as me, no, I wasn't, I wasn't all, always that, but I think there are elements of you that, that are all, that have, I'm still the same person. I've just got, I've just got more information now. Um, I think at that point, it might, that conversation was made easier by having um, Kareen, who who was already, and Kareen is Dutch, a uh, Dutch white woman, but Kareen's, and her mindset and her whole approach to me as a young black woman is, she was a young white woman herself at the time, mm-hmm. but her whole approach to me was we are peers. There was like, we were just peers. So it was very easy for me to raise that conversation with her and say, there's something niggling me here and I'm not sure how to work it out. Mm-hmm. And I had her absolute support to try and figure it out. And then the woman that I had to have the conversation with at the Arts Council was a black woman called Maggie Semple. Mm-hmm. So that made that whole that whole conversation way more easier. A, yeah. a very rare thing. I'm talking about, I'm talking about 1992, three, a senior, senior, senior black woman at the Arts Council that I could go to and say, I've got, I've got a question I'm trying to work out. That's that's how that happened. I, if I had to go to somebody else at the Arts Council, and, and I should explain that the, the whole point of the traineeship was about diversifying leadership or diversifying the sector, so it was specifically mm-hmm. aimed at me as a black person. Mm-hmm. But I think when someone says black, depending on your perspective, you hear something different. And as I said, the dance community heard expert in black dance. 
right rather than and suddenly I had the I had the weight of the black dance community sort of looking at me saying well what well what are you doing for us because you should know about you you know you're the black you're the arts council's black dance trainee and I'm like no I'm not I'm no, not no. the black dance trainee manager you know yeah yeah so yeah so that's what made that conversation a lot a lot easier to have and and to be honest I try to be I emulate that in in where I am now I try I'm trying to be in the senior roles that I have uh, and I've occupied and where I and the rooms and the, that I can get into now and the tables that I can sit around I'm trying to be that black person that other people can come to and go it might be easy to navigate this conversation because I see myself reflected do you know what I mean and it's a mm-hmm. it, you're already you're already having to get over something to try and have a conversation about about culturally what's what 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 you might want to bring into a room or bring into something it's much easier it might still be a challenging conversation but at, at least if you're having it with me I'm hoping that there is it's just not it's not daunting in a different way in a, in a way that it might be if you're going in with somebody else yeah yeah I totally hear that and so those experiences you know I guess have have been the building blocks to kind of lead you to where you are today um I wonder if there are any projects or or other moments where you have felt like um yes this this experience this project this moment really kind of maybe changed your brain in wanting to kind of um level up for lack of a better phrase you know Mm. of things being like oh actually no I would love to aim for this thing um are there any sort of projects where where your brain has been changed in the way that you, I guess, look at your career or look at your trajectory? Yeah, so, 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 so many. So, so, so many. I mean, probably, because I went, I went through a period sort of like middle, the middle of my career to now. I went through a period where suddenly the way I was spoken about by other people was, um, so you'll be familiar with this when, when you're an emerging artist and people keep saying you're an emerging artist, you're an emerging playwright, an emerging singer, whatever it is. Uh-huh. I, I was emerging till I was about 41, right? <laughs> and I, <laughs> it was really weird. But the transition from, it, it was really, it, was, it went really quickly, maybe without me noticing, I kind of went from emerging to senior really quickly, right? Yeah. And so and so suddenly I was like, ah, oh, oh, okay. I'm, I'm this I'm this senior person and I, I hadn't had a job title with the word senior I think I, I, when I, my uh, arts council I became senior dance officer, dance officer around about 37 37 and that felt like a massive step right mm-hmm. but but in terms of and that's when the rest of you know my sector or my peer group started to sort of think that's when I started to heard senior that's what I was being regarded mm-hmm. And it was when I tried to step from senior, from that senior label in general into my next thing that I felt I got checked, that I got checked a little bit around your ambition. Just, I felt like I I, I have to, I'm going to, I have to be for, I have to be um, diplomatic about the way I say this, you know what I mean? But, but. I can only describe it as I just got checked. 
I got, I, I felt, I felt it so hard. Mm. And at that point, I thought, you know what? I, I don't, I don't need to wait for validation that I'm done. At that point, I just thought, um, yeah, I can, I can spend my time trying to prove you wrong, yeah. or I can just go and do my own thing. Because I know, I know me, mm-hmm. yeah, and I know that what I can do and what I'm capable of, and I know where I can go and where I can take this. And so I just decided I'm going to, I'm going to do me, and I will, and I will see you when I get there. Mm-hmm. That's kind of, I remember that as a really clear thought, um, and it and it may be so free, it may be really free because I think at the point when you're, when you are. Um, what, what, we're, what we're all calling leveling up now there, there are sometimes that leveling up happens because you drive it and you and you reach for it and sometimes that leveling up is because people step aside or open the door or make way and sometimes mm-hmm. it's a combination of both and when that is not happening when people are not making way for you or or not interested in leveling up you're, you're only left with the option of driving it yourself you know yeah. what I mean um I've been so, I'm not going to say lucky, I have been blessed that in my career I've had a combination of door openers and and, and people who for them leveling up, level up, leveling up is, is standard practice, standard practice. And I've had the experience of having those checks and those blocks so I can recognise where I'm at at what point and how I need to navigate. And that's only from that moment I have only just gone on to fine tune that, just to fine tune that radar a bit. Yeah. So, so, so that it's not necessarily a a project. It was just a a point, a point at which I thought, yeah, um, I'm just going to shift the game. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to play my game. And can I ask you about this um, um, being emerging and then all of a sudden being established or in a senior role? Because I think. That's something that a lot of artists are currently battling with is that is that feeling of I'm not emerging, you know, I'm here, I'm out here, I'm doing it. You know my face, you know my name, you know what I do, how I do it, who I want to work with, why I make what I make. But I'm also not at the level of senior yet, you know, because I still know that I've got so much to learn or I have so much more of my journey before I get there. So there's this really weird kind of, mid-career limbo area where I think a lot of a lot of artists sit in but you know the industry is still telling you that you're emerging Um, are there any points in your career where you can kind of go yes at that point I would say I was mid-career you know and that to me felt like I wasn't emerging still um but I I'm not yet established I'm not yet in these senior roles no matter what um you know your job titles were at the time Mm -hmm. like to you personally are there moments where you can identify yes I feel mid-career I feel possibly in this limbo or in this really beautiful space in the in-between yeah I yeah I would I mean I think probably probably if if I was to say that my career in this sector began at 22 23 mm-hmm. I would say by by 32 33 I would I had emerged I think mm-hmm. because everything else after the, you know we could 
we don't we don't stop learning right and so when people speak to me about leadership they say you know you know can you talk about how how you know how you became a leader I'm still becoming a leader yeah I haven't stopped I haven't kind of got it all sorted in the bag and I've Mm -hmm. got the formula which is leader and if you take that if you apply that same that same theory to you doing your job well you know when a doctor qualifies after seven years of training they don't become an emerging doctor they're a doctor (laughs) exactly exactly you're a doctor you're a doctor all you do is get better at being a doctor Mm -hmm. right so our sector has a has a way and it's to do with I think it's to do with funding and to do with how we support people but we have a way of saying um well you're you're emerging until you've done the thing that blows up uh-huh. and and then I decide you've emerged right yeah and then when you've emerged you'll have to do something else for me to say that you are you'll have to keep that level for me to then say you are an expert do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's just a weird thing we do as a sector. So I would say after 10 years, I would I I would say I had a very good grasp and understanding of I'd had several jobs. I'd literally done administration, I'd tour managed for a world-leading dance company, I'd worked in local government, I was at the arts council. I I had done in in 10 years, I was on I was on my fourth or fifth job. I had in, I had emerged, yeah. But but in order to control, I think that, you know, the labelling is a control mechanism in some ways. Mm-hmm. So, and it's also a way to keep, to keep, um, it's so a way to keep, keep people in there. Yeah, it's, it's a hierarchy, mm-hmm. isn't it, right? Yeah. It's a hierarchy. And so, and in order to keep the system going and the hierarchies and the processes that we all, all grow, we grow up and sometimes we accept them and sometimes we buck against them, but it has to be, particularly in our cultural sector there were there were those people and some people I might add don't even become emerging because you know somehow the sector has deemed that you were brilliant the minute you started absolutely right? you stepped out the gate you know and nailed and it and, and it's not, not self mm-hmm. exactly and I don't even think it's self I was listening to an interview that Akram Khan was doing the other day right and Akram talked about his beginning bits and how how he was trying to figure out you know him as himself as an artist and how to make his work and how to get his work made and whatever and I remember being in rooms where where he wasn't ever considered emerging when I became aware of him there was never the word emerging in t- attached to him even though I met Akram I'm, I must have met Akram in 98 I think the first time I met Akram and he and wasn't even emerging in 98, but I was still emerging in 98. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. It's just a bizarre thing. It's just a bizarre thing. I, I, all, I add that we don't put these titles on ourselves. Somehow out there, no. the, the global day assign these titles, uh, you know, and, and the, it's wonderful when they assign a title that you're happy with because, mm-hmm. you know, right now I've been assigned the title of leader. I quite like it because it means it gets me in certain rooms to do some good, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, and so I, so I'm happy to take that that title right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that answers your question. That does, yeah. That that really does. And I think um, that I, I've been thinking a lot about Michaela Cole, who wrote um, a play called Chewing Gum Dreams, and also wrote um, I May Destroy You, the, the TV show. Phenomenal and, uh, piece of TV. 
phenomenal beautiful piece of, piece of work beautiful piece of work phenomenal. start to finish like I tip my hat I bow I yeah praise the work that she's made um but you know in that similar way it she was never emerging to the wider world she came out the park with chewing gum the tv show and then other um bits of work and then I made a story which blew up but actually you know chewing gum was originally chewing gum dreams a play that was a one-person play which actually was one of my the sort of catalyst for me to start making my own solo work mm. but that was many years ago and even before that there's a lot of emerging quote-unquote work that she did but that sort of you know the the industry decided that she's never been emerging she just came out the bat and was amazing but funnily I also read but I also read some stuff um and uh, uh, where where she is still considered though emerging in comparison to and I think oh. that's quite interesting do you know what I mean because mm-hmm. it's still there's still because it gives people it gives it, it gives people a reason to say so I'm just going to not commission her as much or I'm just not going to invest as much here yeah, because yeah. you know actually in comparison to whoever it may be uh-huh you know, I just want to hedge my bets a little bit more. Do you know what I mean? Whereas I'm like all in. People need to be going all in with their work right now, right? Yeah, yeah. Investing all in with her work. It, it happens a lot with um, with artists. I think that someone a, a you're emer- either emerging for too long, and or, or you know that you know you arrive and they think you just arrived yesterday without doing twenty <laughs> yeah, years. Yeah, first. you know it's yeah. Um, it's an industry problem I don't think it's an individual any individual creative problem I think it's an an industry thing of how we very nicely like to package people up I'm guilty as well I've done it too we've packaged people up into it's good to have that there you know mm -hmm. we can call you you know you're a young person you can be a young person for this long or you can be a young person for this long yeah Yeah. over here you can be a young person for this long (laughs) you know what I mean it's packaging it's the way we we have categorized people so so we collectively can do what we want to do um, and it's not always helpful. So thinking about that packaging, I guess, of, of people, um, the, the the people like you that I'm talking to, um, I, I have packaged as cultural leaders, a very open sort of catch-all term, basically for just, just for, for artists and people that I look up to and I think, you know, are leading the way. Um, I'm wondering then if you've ever felt like a leader, whatever that term means for you, if you've ever really been like, yeah, you know, I'm a leader in this situation. Has there ever been that moment for you? Mm, that's a really hard question. <laughs> Sorry, have I ever felt, have I ever felt, wow. I don't, oh God, I don't really know if I've ever. No, I, it's really hard because I've, I spend so much time in my head, I think, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't think I've ever consciously, I don't think I could think of myself as a leader because it, it would daunt me. It would, I think it would make me, I wouldn't do half the things I do or say half the things I say if I thought of myself as a leader and I found mm-hmm. and I and I walked into a situation as Delia Barker the leader uh-huh. I, I think it would I think it would mess me up um, yeah yeah I, I think and that's why I'm happy 
with other people calling me that because I'm a pleaser, right? My whole thing, right? If you do all the kind of mm-hmm. personality profiles or whatever, I am a <laughs> pleaser, right? So it makes me happy to do to be the thing that you think I am, as long as it doesn't compromise my morals or my integrity. It makes me happy. So yeah. It makes me really happy that someone's, that you would put me in your package as a cultural leader because it means that I can go, okay, well, in the way that you see me, here is here is what I'm doing, or this mm-hmm. is what I'm, you know, mm-hmm. I will do this this have this conversation with you because because maybe some maybe somebody else out there might see me as a leader and it might inspire or help or advise or warn them off or whatever it might be. Do you know what I mean? There are I can't think of a moment. Now I can think of moments that I'm a leader in my family life. And yeah. I can think of moments that I'm really happy to I'm really happy to say. And I'm, I am leading, do you know what I mean? I am leading, mm-hmm. I'm leading on the way that we, we still need to raise our children and grandchildren as a black community. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've had that conversation all day, do you know what I mean? I'm really happy to challenge and lead and advocate for that. And But in, in the professional capacity, I think there's so many other things. And what... what what is a what is a leader? Do you yeah, know what I mean? Like, what is I'm coming in here being like throwing the leadership word around. I'm like, I don't really know. <laughs> I've kind of just used it as a catch-all term for people that I look up to and who I think are like, you know, clearing a bit of the path for me. That's what I You're think. a leader. But you but you're a leader, right? You're a leader. Yeah, yeah, yeah I can but like, but you are a leader, right? You are a leader. You're making really important work and saying really important things. You're doing this for this series of podcasts. You also are a leader. So, do you know what I mean? What what is a, a leader? Is I don't I don't know. Is it, I don't know. I, I think the problem is people who wake up in the morning and think I'm a leader. Yeah, That's, that is the problem. Do you hard, know what I mean? Hard agree. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think when you when you assign yourself that, and then there's a difference between being. I'm the person in charge, yeah. I know that I'm not unrealistic, you know. If I'm, you know, I've been the the, the director of an uh, of an organisation where the buck stops with me, right? So when I wake up in the morning, I know I am in charge of this organisation, mm-hmm. and so I need to make it work. That is very different to being a leader, you know. I am the assigned person who is in charge of managing and running this organisation. That's the job I applied for. That's the job I got. But you know, that doesn't make me a good leader that makes me a good person at that job right yeah. mm-hmm. so I think there's I think there's a subtlety I think you know and leaders come from everywhere my son leads me sometimes you know my son sometimes leads me in my thinking mm-hmm. um leads me out of situations that I'm frightened of and I don't know what to do about do you know what I mean the leaders come in all shapes and sizes um and and we can talk about things that you recognize in leaders in people that we call leaders that we recognize as good characteristics or behaviors or whatever but I don't think Mm -hmm. yeah I think it's a it's a yeah I think I've made it clear yeah I think that was a beautiful beautiful response and I also will always put my hands up and admit that I am using leader like a catch-all term and I don't really know what it means um and so I think that journey of discovery with like that comes from all of us of what that means to us like I'm just happy to to sit here and listen to you like discover that as well you know well um, as, as one leader to another leader I'm enjoying this too 
Okay, well, that's been a great talk. We're just going to cut it short here. Um, I appreciate that. So, so thinking about like what you do now, um, or the the roles you inhabit, um, what do you wish that you had known before you got here to this point in your career? Ah, oh, I wish I had known that what I have. What I wish I'd known that what I have to say and what I bring to a conversation or a situation is as valid in my professional working life as it is in my family and friend circle. Mm. Um, because I think that people talk a lot about bringing your whole self to work or bringing your whole self, you know, um, I don't think it's always been that simple to do that. Um, and so when you're, I think particularly in my career and sort of moving into senior management um, of, of arts organisations, I always assumed that um, because the culture and the cultural sector gives this um gives this impression that you have to be you have to be educated in a certain way and you mm-hmm. need to you need to be learned in a certain way mm-hmm. you need to know a lot about a certain about actually quite a small amount of things and and so I always felt that I always felt that I might have an opinion but I couldn't back it in the same way or I couldn't articulate it in a particular way so maybe it just wasn't that it wasn't you know I just would kind of not say it or not and I wish I I wish I had known um and part of that is some some of what I did to myself mm-hmm. in my head and part of that is again you know there's, there's no it's no it's no kind of um surprise why people that don't work in our creative sector can't really understand what you know what the problem what necessarily the problem is with what we're going through right now with people not performing and mm-hmm. tech is not working and set design is not working and you know and actually in in the scheme of things of the challenges we face as a country you know there are there are people in and outside of government that would say that the creative sector isn't the most important thing we need to manage and deal with right now uh-huh. um and so I, I just think there's a world out there in which I I wish I had known how to bring myself into a room and say what I have to say is important. Mm-hmm. Um, this sector that I'm working in is important. Um, I don't have to know it in the same way that you know it. I don't have to have experienced it in the same way that you've experienced it. Um, and I've gotten better at doing that. I still have to challenge myself to do it in certain situations, but I have mm-hmm. gotten better at kind of valid having having my experience be a valid one in a space um because, and it's so important and it's so so important to learn that skill i i think faster mm-hmm. I, I one of the things i talk about at the roundhouse is that how do we get people to have the experience faster so that you are where where i got to at 35 you get there at 25 you know what i mean you get yeah. some of that so that's what I wish I'd known. I wish I'd known that actually, the, you know, I would have said, you know, D, 
you know, you, you do have an opinion and, you, and it is important to be heard and it is important for you to speak it. And if other people ignore it, that's their loss. Um, mm-hmm. That's what I wish I had known before I got to where I am now. Because I just would have said more of it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and have you had any, has anything sort of surprised you about um, what you do now and, you, and the roles that you inhabit? Yeah, lots of surprised me because when I, because the better I got at, at, at saying, okay, I'm not going to worry too much about all the things that people might think about me. I'm not going to worry about this. I'm not going to worry about that. I'm actually going to just try and do the best. I'm going to try and stay true to who I am and what I believe. As soon as I kind of made that internal path with myself, oh my gosh, the world opened, right? So like me being, I tell the story all the time, me being chair of studio Wayne McGregor. Okay, like Wayne McGregor is one of the world-leading artists. I mean, he's operating on a level that, honestly, sometimes I'm like, I just don't, I don't understand, right? World-leading artist. I remember when I left the Arts Council, I said, okay, I, I really, I used to be his lead officer at the Arts Council for that company. And I left the Arts Council and I thought, I really want to be on his board. And oh my gosh, 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 oh my gosh. And I had never had any of this kind of conversation with him. And I went to him, I remember saying to him, can I meet you at the Royal Opera House? About six months after I left the Arts Council. And um, I just thought, I'm just going to go for it. So I asked him if I could meet him. And I said, look, um, I just, you know, wanted to say that if you like, you might ever like, you know, be thinking about like expanding, that, that, yeah. that, that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'd, I'd, you know, I just wanted to sort of say like, I'd really, I'd, you know, I'd be really up for joining it. And when I saw his face and he went, oh my God, oh my God, that would be amazing. I was really thrilled. I was like, but, but you're, and I'm a bit, and I'm, you know, yeah, yeah. And then he, about a year and a half later, he, met me he was coming to do something for me at English National Ballet School and he said oh can we have can we have a coffee beforehand and he said you know I want to talk to you about becoming chair and again I thought he could have anybody from this entire art sector he could ask anybody that and and probably most people would say yes why are you asking me and I questioned it and I questioned it and I questioned it and and another good friend of mine Jen who I will name check Jen said to me if you think he's such a great artist have you ever seen him make a bad decision? And I said, no. She said, so why do you think this one is a bad decision? Why are you even questioning it? Shout out, Jen. I... Right? I'm telling you. I'm telling you. So, uh, yeah, I've had moments where, for me, I'm like, it surprised me where I go, and yet I'm still doubting myself. And other people go, boom. Like, other people intervene for me. And that's why I think your network of peers and creatives is so important. Because sometimes you don't see yourself. And you need other people to see you in the way that you that you need just that little boost to go step to it. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I would never have I made I, you know, I, obviously I made the first conversation, but I would never have put myself in the frame to be chair of that organization. I wouldn't I wouldn't have applied for the job at the roundhouse. It's other people that said, You need to go there. I was like, really? They're like, you need, you need to, you need to apply for this job. I don't know anything about music. What am I doing? Oh, uh, uh. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Last minute application, night before. Do you know what I mean? Oh my god! Night before the deadline, I said I- it was half past six on the Sunday evening. I said to my husband, "Oh, if I'm going to do this, I better do it right." Mm-hmm. And, the, and the deadline was nine o'clock the next morning. 
so surprised, so surprised I got the job. So surprised. I was like, oh, and they're the one saying, but of course, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and I continue to be surprised and I continue to push myself and ask my peers and my colleagues and my friends to push me so that I don't ever, I don't ever sit in a space of comfort. Um, you know, I, that's, mm-hmm. I think I owe that to everything, everyone who's supported me and invested in me and, yeah, you know, mentored me and coached me and just heard me cry and moan and whatever. I'm like, and I owe it to, I owe it to who's coming next. Do you know what I mean? To not just not sit and be complacent. And I don't have to be, you know, the, the you know, I don't have to be knighted or, you know, given a David or being honoured in a public way. I just need to know that someone like you will come and ask me for a conversation and you're going to broadcast this. Someone else might listen it and might go, you know what? I'm going to try a thing tomorrow. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's what it's about for me. The my slight dream is that somebody listens to this the night before a deadline that they weren't going to apply for and they go yeah "Yeah, okay let's do it absolutely Um, because if not you who right so if not you who that is oh Delia can I also just ask you um what interested you in um uh, being part of a board because I think that's that's a sort of really weird mystic thing for some of us <laughs> where we're like a board what do they do why would you want to be a part of a board like what a yeah. you know what's the reason um and um, I was really lucky and this is one of the things that really attracted me to the roundhouse when I was four, 13 no 14 or 15 this how old I am they, they introduced student um representatives on school boards right school governance boards yeah yeah and I remember, and you had to go through this, and, and it had to be properly voted. You had to put your name out. You had to write why, why you wanted to join the board. And uh-huh. then the student, student population voted for you. And I got voted in, in the first ever round in the UK. So I was, I was one of two uh, radical, when I think about it now, um, myself and Ryan Johnson, we were the uh, student reps for our school, Easy School, on our governance, right, on our board. Yeah. And going into that room and then hearing them talk about, well, you know, what changes are going to make to school dinners? Um, what are they going to do to the pottery block? Uh, mm-hmm. Are we going to have, a, how many hours of art are we going to have a week? And I suddenly thought, oh, if you're in, in the right room, you can influence decision making. Mm-hmm. So I learned that really early on. And the reason I love the Roundhouse is because it's youth, it's youth board and having young people in the school, because I learned that, you know, I was very lucky. I had that experience with teens, right? So I mm-hmm. always knew being in the right room and having and, and around that table so I was never I was never afraid of governance because I knew it mm-hmm. I, I had my first board papers when I was 15 right yeah and so and so that just carried on so when my son started school I joined the school governing body because I wanted to know well, what are you teaching my child and the other children and what are we doing with this mm-hmm. school do you know what I mean and I was a school governor uh, for probably 15 years and then being in the arts council I was working with boards to manage yeah. their organisation. So I just wasn't, I, w- I just, I think it's so important. I would say to people, if you're, you don't have to have a child to be on a school board. You know, if we're upset about what they're teaching kids in school, get on the school board, right? Join a board of governance, mm-hmm. learn, because they need local community mem- members. They need parent, um, you know, if yeah, you are yeah. working in the creative sector and you, there's an organisation you're particularly interested in, write to them, let them know you're interested and you would like to find out more about their, their board appointment process. Because why not? Again, if not you, who? Do you know what I mean? So exactly. why, why not? 
Why not? A lot of conversation about uh, decolonizing the curriculum um, and knowing that you could put yourself in those rooms. You know, you put yourself in those rooms. You can put yourself in those rooms. You have permission. Like right now, I am giving whoever is listening permission to put themselves in those rooms. Absolutely. Find Um, out from your local school, community governors, you know, and then you get to be in the room where they're talking about actually what's happening with education for young black boys, what's happening for uh, the traveling community, right? I mean, that was one thing that I learned about when I joined the the school board Mm -hmm. was actually there's some real challenges faced by our traveling community where they are absolutely disregarded by so many of our systems that don't actually account for their way of life. So actually, there's so many things you can get involved in and get interested in. And I think they all add to your worldview. They all make you, yeah, you know, I just think the more you know, the more you learn, the more you can influence. I completely agree. Um, Do you feel like you have, quote, unquote, made it? <laughs> I know I asked that question with a huge Why? smile on my face because I also know the question is silly and it's funny. Um oh my gosh, have I you know what I've done? I I don't know if I've made it because I don't know what I don't know what would make me stop, right? Yeah. And I think if I've made it, I'll stop. Um so I don't know if I I don't know if I've made it. I think what I feel like I have done is it's going to sound a bit grand. I feel like I've honoured my mum and dad's journey here. Oh, That's my heart like space that. is so warm. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, my heart is exploding. That is beautiful. Yeah. That's what I feel I've done. I feel like I've honoured their journey. And that's and if that's all I achieve in life, that was a, that's a good thing to have achieved. Thank you for, for sharing that. That is oh, just perfect. Um, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I just want to ask you one last sort of silly thing that um, I always like to know. If, let's say, money, no option, you had access to anything you wanted in the world and you could invent something, anything, to make what you do easier, what would you invent? I would invent a machine that could reflect how people really see you uh-huh. without you know when people say like how you should go to your own funeral or something like that yeah, I would yeah. I would like it, something that happens in real time as someone where you could be where you could see how people see you really see how people see you so you could um adjust adapt change ref- reflect that because I think we walk people walk through life I don't know why people don't like me I would love to know why people, why somebody, there is somebody, there's probably a lot of people out there that do not like Delia for one reason or another. And I would really like to know why, because that helps me to understand how to be a better human being, you know, and you can't, everybody cannot love you all the time, but I'd love to know. So that would be my invention, an invention that is a, a, a machine that would reflect to you how you are seen in the world so that you can truly understand the impact you are having. Delia, I... If I fight, if I get some funding, I will find a way to make that happen. If not, in the meantime, I will just give you your roses while you can smell them. And um, and thank you for spending this time and sharing and being so open and being 100% Delia right now. Thank you so much for this opportunity. You are an amazing, amazing person. You know I love you. Okay, I love you you too, Delia. Got enough time for you. Okay, Uh, okay. I'm going to just go ahead and 
uh, implode now <laughs> because I can't <laughs> hack it either. Um, thank you so much for spending time with me. Thank you for talking. Um, I adore you, Delia. Right back at you. Remember, you can always join in the conversation by using the Black in Power hashtag, which is hashtag Black in Power. I've been Coco Brown, and you can see more about what I do at heycoco.com and at the Coco Brown on socials. This podcast has been produced by the Lost Kids Collective with support from Arts Council England. Sound production by Forward Motion with music from Late Kid and Weird Today. The cover art was designed by House of JBK. I hope you've managed to have some water by now. If not, go and get some. Okay, stay safe. Bye.